Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett as ever. Talking all things Manchester United after they lose 4-2 to Cadiz in a friendly, their first friendly or fixture of any kind uh, since the World Cup has started. United still well represented in the World Cup ahead of the quarterfinals, which are taking place on Friday and Saturday. Rob and I will do a little bit of chat around some Man United transfer stories around the Cadiz game as well. Look ahead to January, as we're going to be doing uh, throughout the next few weeks. Uh, but Rob, how are you doing? That's the most important thing for me to ask you. Not doing too bad. And quite nice to see some Manchester United things happening, isn't it, on a football pitch? I know it's only just a friendly and it doesn't mean anything, is it? It's just a run out and some training. But good to see some kids play and do some and do well. Also quite interesting to see some of the more senior players not do so well a few of them might be on their way out of the football club and we're going to try and chat through all of that today yeah we'll start out with that once we do the plugs uh we'll get rob's take on who stood out who flopped etc etc in that game because i think eric ten Hag put out essentially two different lineups with a goalkeeper that we've not really seen before as well there is a few developments on martin dubravka's future we'll get into that plus a bunch of other players plus some interest in some potential arrivals but yes Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., etc., and watch us on YouTube as well twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. So head over to the channel, like, subscribe, leave a comment, join the community as well. Get in touch with us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise and MU for the show. But let's uh, let's jump back, Rob, to the actual football uh, to start with. You watch this one with interest. Uh, I have seen it. We also have uh, some quotes from Eric Ten Hag, which I don't actually have in the running order, but he has addressed uh, some things. So I'll, I'll, well, maybe we'll dig into that as well. And uh, why, once you start talking on the Cadiz game, Rob, maybe I'll um, try and find some talking points from what Ten Hag has said recently because we've heard from him around this game. But talking about the football, who stood out, who flopped? What did you make of it all? Well, I was multitasking during the game, doing some work, but actually watching it and trying to assess who, who was actually playing well and who looked like they wanted to be there. It was quite interesting because obviously he picked these two teams and this is, look, this is a training exercise. This is about getting these lads back after a little break during the World Cup, just getting players back up to speed. And, and, it, and it really was a, a big variance. I kind of think we saw some of the youngsters who were on the fringe, but deservedly on the fringe, you know, kind of making those steps towards the first team. And I think we saw more would say established professionals kind of still have very similar issues. So who are we talking about there? Uh, so we saw a start for Aaron Wambasaka, quite interesting. We know that, that he's kind of been off the scene for a while, kind of out of favour, out of form. He looked miles off it against this Cadiz team who were kind of fielded their, almost their, their first team. You know, they're, they're in the Liga side 
They're pretty decent. They can kind of give you a game. They beat Atletico Madrid not so long ago in La Liga. So they're not a bad team, but you could kind of see where United were exposed. So you could see that, I think, with Wamasaka. You could see that also, I think, with Victor Lindelof to a point and Dubravka. You know, real kind of three players that I don't really want to see starting for Man United anytime soon in that defence. But on the flip side, I think when you look at some of the kids and the two players that I want to highlight, definitely, are Zidane Bal and also Manu. I think, again, when you look at Kobe Manu, just a kid, he's like 17 in the second half. I think they both had decent games and showed that there's a lot more to come from them. So I don't think that it was a, a pointless exercise. I think Eric Ten Hag would have seen some things that he liked. He'd have also seen quite a lot of things that he doesn't like. But this is now just about getting the wheels turning once again, getting Manchester United business, you know, first and foremost in everyone's minds. Yeah, he did say that. One of his quotes, we are unhappy with this game. <laughs> of course, you always have some positive even when you lose, but today there are more negatives. So he said, uh, in the first 15 minutes, we were not awake. We were asleep. They were a threat in transition. In the second goal, we were not awake. A bad rest uh, defence, especially in midfield. We got ran off. It's unacceptable. Uh, yeah, United, some, they gave up some pretty shoddy goals, didn't they? Uh, but obviously when... It, you have to take it with a pinch of salt. This is obviously a mix of uh, rotation players, players who have not gone to the World Cup, and youth players as well. So there's not a need, any need to, and I've not seen this happen, but there's no need to overreact at all. This is just uh, getting back up to speed a little bit. And uh, like you say, the two youngsters did impress. Rob, do, do you give the two lads you just mentioned any... Uh, do you think they'll be sticking around, potentially getting first-team opportunities later in the season? Well, the choice always is, isn't it, with kids, is about what do you do with them? Do, do you send them out on loan and that helps them with their development and then you bring them back and carry on that development at home? Or do you get it done under your roof? You know, do you kind of keep monitoring them, pushing them towards your own first team? I do think that under Ten Hag, and, and it was something that, that Ranjik spoke about as well, there is this kind of fashion now, I call it a fashion because it is a change, towards keeping players within your development system at home. So you can do it at Carrington, push them uh, in the under 23 ranks, the under 21s, and you work with them that way. And you, they, you embed the culture and the philosophy of the manager into their heads. It's a lot harder to do that if you go and send a player out to a championship club. They're away, you don't see them, they're at Swansea and they haven't been at Man United for six months. That's difficult. So there is, I think, a, a kind of flavour now towards home development. And I think when you look at Zidane and you look at Manu, Manu's 17, you know, is this the right time to go and chuck them into a championship team, you know, where, where it becomes a tough draft? Now, it works for some players, doesn't work for all of them. And you've also got to ask, because Garnacho has proved this, you know, you could have put Garnacho on loan somewhere, couldn't you, in the summer, because he looked ready. But Garnacho has been a huge piece for you, hasn't he, in terms of your rotation? So you kept Garnacho, and he's now probably starting ahead of Sancho, which is not something that we could have predicted before, was it? We would not have said that weeks and months ago. So I look at these two lads that we're talking about here, and I think they're not that far off the first team. So we're, I'm not saying in terms of starting, but certainly in that rotation. And you need numbers. This is something that Man United are going to have to develop now over the next x amount of months and transfer windows and you have to decide about whether you get as a dan and send him off for a year or two 
And does he become your next Axel two in Zabi? So he does all right on loan, but doesn't really help you, doesn't come back. Or do you keep him in-house and develop him? And I think you should keep him. I think you should keep both of those young players. And they're showing me, you know, maturity beyond their years, both of those two guys. And we've always talked about midfield strength, hasn't we? And here we've got two young lads who are both real top quality midfielders for their age group. That if they were at a Birmingham or somewhere like that, I said this to you off camera, don't want to make the Jude Bellingham comparison. But, you know, if you are playing in the championship 18 and you're doing well, people then start talking about you as the next big thing, don't they? But if you're a Man United reserves, it's, oh, you need a loan. So I like these two players and I think they can help United when you're actually building through the transfer market. Maybe it saves you some money when you're going out and buying a midfielder. Conversation uh, is going to take the... We're going to take the negative twist, the negative turn here, because as you mentioned at the top, Rob, some players just didn't look up to it, really, did they? You mentioned, I, I know that your your thoughts on Victor Lindelof are well publicised. We've spoken about that many times in this podcast. Uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka got a shot at right back and <laughs> uh, looked a bit of a a bit of a weak point, a bit of a problem. Martin Dubravka in goal as well. Uh, not convincing, but he's not really had his chance this uh, this season so far. We'll talk about Dubravka in a little bit, but on Wan Bissaka, uh, there's a piece on 90min.com which is uh, should be out by now by the time you're listening to this about United expecting that Aaron Wan Bissaka will end up eventually leaving the club probably in January. Crystal Palace have been linked uh, com- consistently, but it just doesn't seem like Aaron Wan Bissaka is up to it, and he certainly didn't suggest to the contrary in this performance did he no not at all and I think for him it's been a consistent slide away from the first team you can imagine only like two years ago he was a starter and one of them kind of automatic starters wasn't he at right back you know when you looked at the team there was many more holes across the pitch than at right back and you know he's never really done it progressively has he on the right hand side but we always said that I think when a more technical coach was in charge of the team that he'd be one of the first ones to suffer. So as you said just a minute ago, you can't read too much into a friendly, but I think when you look at the player's aptitude and maybe what he's putting out there, you know, I think it was the second goal where he's out of position, he's sprinting back, and he's only really going to kind of put his foot out to stop the ball coming across the box. He makes it there and then just doesn't do anything. The ball comes across the box and they score. And I think if you're Eric Ten Hag, you're looking at that and thinking... Yeah, you're unusable now. That you're not a player that I'd even want on my bench. So I think that's half the player saying, well, I'm on my way out. So get me out of here, please. I don't want to be here anymore. Um, And I think it's over for him at Manchester United. So it means that United need to look at right back. You've got Delow, who has now gone from being a, a kind of strange starter, player that people didn't want in the team. And I was one of them at one point, not so long ago to now being this World Cup star for Portugal, starting ahead of Cancelo, which is kind of crazy talk, but football is a crazy game. But I think United are going to have to look for right back now. And I do think that Aaron Wan-Bissaka might well never play competitively for Manchester United again. Well, we will see because there are some games uh, before the January transfer window and uh, Diogo Dallo at this rate might be getting back quite late from the World Cup, but we'll see how Portugal do. You'd expect them to progress against Morocco in the World Cup, even though they have been 
you know, one of the teams of the tournament, if not the team of the tournament so far with their performances. But Portugal looking pretty strong. Dallo playing his part there. Aaron Wan-Bissaka, meanwhile, just really falling away, hasn't he? Uh, Crystal Palace made a hell of a deal, but in selling him in the first place to Man United, they might end up getting him back for either a fraction of the price or on loan. So we'll see how see how that progresses. United have uh, decisions to make at right back in January or in the summer. We'll see what they do because if one Aaron Wan-Bissaka does end up leaving, they are left light in that department. Terrell Malassia has been used as the understudy uh, at times uh, for Dallo when he's not been there, but obviously for one player to cover two positions on either side, it probably isn't the best uh, best alternative, best option, but United have a, a quandary in a sense. Do they go and spend big in January on a player that they want long-term? Do they plug the gap with uh, an Ethan Laird, for example, see how he progresses for the rest of the season on loan at QPR? Do they end up buying a cheaper option who can maybe compete with Diogo Dallo? These are kind of the decisions that need to be made. Rob, I'm guessing you're going to lean in the Laird direction. I am. And I think that this is the balance that we spoke about in pre-season about how you build this, because, uh, you know, the ultimate goal is to do what Manchester United have done in years past under Ferguson, which is have two players for every position. That's kind of the utopia. That's what Liverpool try and do. That's what City try and do. It's what every top club wants to do. But I think that you're you're still at the very much at the start of this project and the flow of it. And that means that some players who you think are going to do well are going to fail. And it means that some players that you completely discount are going to become first teamers. So I think Delo is one of those. I think at the start of the season, we said he's decent, he's done all right, but can he really be effective in a in a much more technical system? I'd say he's now a better defender. I think he's better going forward. He's become inverted. So he plays in midfield and comes inside a bit like Concello does. And you're seeing new things from him. And there's still plenty of United players there that I think you can get these performances out of. So you just mentioned Ethan Laird there. I think for him, still a young player, being around the block now on loan. I think he is the type of player that now needs to be part of the core group at Man United. So about those 20, 25 that train every day together. Laird's been out on loan and had varying success. Uh, looked amazing at Swansea, but then kind of nothing at Bournemouth when Bournemouth were uh, on their way back up to the Premier League. And I think he's the type of player that if you're you're looking for what you'd call an old school understudy to Delo, Delo is your starter when he's fit, then yeah, go with go with Laird. Don't go out and spend 20, 30 million on a player who's going to sit on your bench. I saw Alex Tellez appear playing for Brazil the other day. And when you see him, you kind of go, oh yeah, he plays for us still, doesn't he? He's a United player. You, you watch him and you kind of go, he's in Brazil's team, but I still don't want him. I still don't want him at a football club. So there's a lot of that. And you've got to be careful because it's too easy to kind of rob Peter to pay Paul to say, yeah, that player. Oh, yeah. OK, we'll go get him 20 million because he'll help your to bolster your options. United have got a lot of youngsters who are decent and fringe players that I think can might make that little step up. We took mentions of Dan there a minute ago. and We mentioned Manu. On the flip side, you look at someone like Van der Beek, who looks as useless as ever against Cadiz. And you kind of go, well, would you rather get rid of Van der Beek because he can't help you and then just promote these two youngsters into your rotation? I think that's more what Ten Hag will do in the next weeks and months ahead, because that's the smart way of doing it. But of course, there will be transfers into the football club. Let's move on to goalkeepers, because uh, United have been... United have 
they have plenty of decisions to make in 2023. Eric Ten Hag has had six months or so to look at the players that he does have and make decisions. He's got players out of contract in 2023. Diogo Dallo and Marcus Rashford both have options in their contract, which will be extended if uh, new deals aren't arranged. But I think Rashford's deal will be kind of discussed as soon as he's back from the World Cup. And it's not expected to be a problem. Dallo, I think, will be pretty soon on the agenda as well. But these uh, one-year options will protect United from losing them on a free in six months. But talking of goalkeepers, David De Gea, also in that situation. Uh, as far as I know, and what you've heard separately as well, Rob, that this, this is no... Uh, if there's one direction this is going in for David De Gea, it's by, it's out. Uh, now, not fully confirmed. It's not actually decided yet, but De Gea is one of United's highest earning players. Might even be their highest earning player now Ronaldo's gone. Uh, the numbers are quite similar between him and Casemiro, I believe. But uh, De Gea has been the goalkeeper in the number one p- position, but obviously doubts have been raised about his ability with the ball at feet. United also have decisions to make on Martin Dubravka. Suggestions are, and from what we've heard at Night in, that he will return to Newcastle after his loan is finished. And he certainly didn't convince anyone that he'd be worth keeping around in the friendly either. Dean Henderson is another option out on loan at Newcastle. Doesn't want to return to Man United as far as we're, um, we're hearing as well. So could that be a potential way to raise some cash next summer if he has a good season at Forest? And United have been linked with two other goal, or another goalkeeper in Jan Sommer as well. Uh, there is some interest there. He's out of contract in 2023. United are looking at potentially bringing in the Swiss international goalkeeper from Gladbach. But from what we've heard, potentially as a number two option. So there could be some massive upheaval. And then will De Gea end up staying and keeping his position on reduced terms? Will United go out and get Diogo Costa? It remains to be seen, but... There's a lot of decisions to be made there, Rob. I've just been speaking for a little while about all of the situations around the goalkeepers. Uh, what do you What do you want to happen here? What or How do you want to take this one? I think it's quite interesting because when you unravel it, because we talk we talk about goalkeepers quite regularly, don't we? Because we we know that United need a modern sweeper keeper, and if you want to become that, eventually you have to go and find that player. But and this, this is kind of where, where it's the same, things do change. De Gea has done a lot of talking in the last few weeks, kind of stating about you know, how he wants to play on the deck more. United need to play out from the back. I need to change. I'm trying to do those things. And I think we have seen some advancements. Nothing worldly or fantastic, but we have seen advancements. And it's ironic, isn't it? He gets dropped out of the Spain squad. Yeah, and you keep those sweeper keepers in there. And you keep Simon in goal. And he's rubbish, <laughs> and you get knocked out. So and Luis Enrique has now left. Luis Enrique well. now hasn't got a job. So it's all very well that I think for weeks the narrative has have been, oh, De Gea doesn't get in the Spain team because that's not how they play and they don't want to do that. Well, Spain are out of the World Cup and the manager hasn't got a job anymore. So I think David De Gea might be the one with a little smile on his face, thinking, well, if I'd been there, I might have saved some of those shots. And I actually think De Gea would have saved some of those shots, especially the ones that Simon let into the back of the goal. Anyway, I, I digress. Moving on, kind of looking at the options. I think, when you, again, we look at uh, Joko Costa, a player who's done really well at club level. Portugal are doing well now, but he hasn't looked great in the tournament, has he? Like, he, you know, this is a big stage. and he's. Done I think okay he's been all right. Time. He just had that one moment where he made a bit of a boo-boo. But he had that one moment, and it's crucial in his games. Like at the top level, you cannot make those mistakes. Like imagine if he did that for Man United, 
Yeah, that would be the biggest news story in the world that day. And it would be there forever on him. So I think people will forget about it. And I'm not saying that's going to affect his career. But I do think that, again, the pace of change needs to come, I think, with, with what the manager feels he needs. So eventually, I think you'll get this goalkeeper who will be your sweeper keeper, whoever that might be. I think with De Gea, he's going to give De Gea a chance. So De Gea has got an opportunity now between now and the end of the season to show that he can change enough to do some of the stuff enough to make sure United play out from the back more. Now, would De Gea ever be a top elite passer of the ball? Of course not. But again, this is about where you put your pounds and pennies. If you want to spend 50, 60 million on a goalkeeper, go ahead, go and do it. But it doesn't always mean that solves the problem immediately. It doesn't. It means that that play then comes in and makes you technically better in that part of the park. So I think with De Gea, I think what they'll try and do with United, and I think United have, have kind of stated a little bit of this behind the scenes, is that they wouldn't mind keeping De Gea, but on a much, much reduced wage. Now, normally that wouldn't be a thing. A player would go, no, I'm not doing that. I'll go somewhere else. David De Gea is making noises that he will stay at Man United on a reduced wage. So there's something to talk about now. Yeah, so this is kind of it. So I don't think that De Gea would want to stay as a number two. I don't believe that at all. But like you just mentioned, Dean Henderson. If Dean Henderson has a decent six months, you can get a big price for him, move him on. De Gea stays at half the wage. And then you go and buy someone. You go and get a free agent or someone for a small price or someone who is more of a sweeper keeper, someone you could develop or a young player. You've got options to do that. So I think eventually, like you said, what do I want to happen? I, eventually, I think, yeah, you go. You need to go and buy a new goalkeeper eventually. But it's not the most pressing concern. It's not today. There's still five positions that I look at on the pitch and go, I'd rather we address that now and address that issue maybe at the end of the season or the start of next season. We'll see how it plays out, obviously. Uh, indications are that De Gea, obviously no decision has been made on him yet. There are indications that it could be, as long as parties are happy with it, a mutually, a mutually decided parting of the ways. But obviously, like you say there, Rob, David De Gea has six months or so and a ton of games in goal for Man United to prove that he's worth... A new contract, you know, they, they, I don't think the one thing I'm pretty sure of is they can't trigger the extension option on the current terms. I think that's just pretty much the one thing that everybody understands because he's not, his standing in the game is not the same as it was when he signed that contract in the first place. But uh, that remains to be seen. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, could be plenty of incomings and outgoings in the goalkeeping department. Let's talk more immediate though. Uh, if there's one player that United will be signing in, signing in January, it's Cody Gakpo or Cody Hakpo. Uh, he looks most likely at the moment, but obviously there's the Eric Ten Hag has been pushing for him for a long time. They're represented by the same agency. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, the price is just keeps every single day. It goes up by 5 million, 10 million. And we're looking at between 50 million and 70 million now, if you believe everything you read. So, you know, United had the option in the summer to sign him for, what, 25 million, but they also had Cristiano Ronaldo on the books. And while they probably needed him at the time, you know, as an alternative to Ronaldo, I think now now that Ronaldo is there or isn't there, yeah. uh, they absolutely need someone. But my question to you, Rob, and I'm going to insert a quote here before, before uh, I do ask you the question. For me, it's important I play with my face towards the opponent's goal. Then I come into my strength. 
as a striker, you stand a bit more with your back to the goal. That's not really my quality. This is something that he has said this week, Cody Hakpo. And my question to you is, so does that mean that he's another left winger that doesn't want to play up front? And United already have five of those players. So is he the right fit? Right, I'm going to give a bit of a long-winded question, a long-winded answer to this because I think it is long-winded. There's bits more to kind of dig in about strikers and what strikers are and what attackers do and all of this. So I'm going to start off actually talking about fullbacks. So about six years ago, I wrote a piece about how the fullback now is the modern winger. And I had loads of blowback on it, loads of blowback. People. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Saying you're talking rubbish, wingers are wingers, wingers will keep the whip, fullbacks are fullbacks, they're defenders. What's happened in the last six years is that fullbacks are now wingbacks who come inside, play inverted, play central midfield, the Cancello role, now the Delo role. So that's how that position has, has evolved over six, seven years. And that evolution is continuing. When you look at the forward lines, literally no team anymore plays with two strikers up top, not in that classical way of 4-4-2. Those days have gone. There's a leaning towards 4-3-3, but there's also a leaning towards overloading the attacking player, uh, the attacking zone with players that can do all of those roles in the forward line. So what do I mean by that? Having a classical number nine is all great if you've got an Erling Haaland, if you've got someone like that. But as I said to you before the, the show and when we've talked about it previously, just go through every Premier League club and look at their stock of forwards and see how many operate with what you would call a traditional number nine, a number nine that plays with their back to goal. Now, teams do go out and still buy these types of players, of course, but you're more likely, like Liverpool, to go and get a Darwin Nunes, who can come off the left but can play through the middle, than you are to go and buy an out-and-out centre-forward a la Cristiano Ronaldo type player. So this is kind of where we stand with it and with Man United's attack. And kind of the question that we both asked is, like, do Man United need another player like this? And my answer to that is pretty clear. And I, the answer to that is absolutely yes, you do. Because it's about fluidity. So if you're playing 4-1-5, which is kind of now the setup, Casemiro deep, five players pushing forward, all interchanging, moving left to right, central players overloading the wings, wingers coming inside, that kind of thing, then Gakpo is perfect. Manchester United do not play with a centre forward with their back to goal. Every now and then you see it. You might see Martial do it now and then, come for the ball. Ronaldo used to like it, didn't he? Come for the ball, but not actually link play up, not actually help you. Not let, let you get past that last line. 
Someone like Gakpo, he's got the speed, he's got the skill, he can assist and he can score. And the value, you know, the value that that gives you in that kind of player is absolutely huge. It lets you hunt as a pack at the top end of the pitch. If you could tell me someone out there who was a, another next Erling Haaland, like we talked about Osman, I think he's a kind of player that you could do that. But even he plays the channels. Um, we've talked about Nkunku in, in weeks gone by. He's again another player who wants to go into the channel, wants to go wide. Ultimately, these centre forwards or these number nines, as we call them, are not really traditional number nines anymore. I think Tony at Brentford is someone who can come short. But that's it. There's not many in the Premier League. I can't really name them and think of them club to club. Uh, I'm sure someone will gazump me and say, yeah, this club does it. But overall, you know, if you're City, you're looking for the next Julian Alvarez. You're not really looking for the next Sergio Aguero. It's, that's the way forward lines have gone. Arsenal went and bought Gabriel Jesus. Again, not traditional number nine, but he can play nine, score goals and get you assists. So it's more about, I think, the fit now with the whole attack. That's the long-winded answer about whether Manchester United need Cody Gakpo. Gabriel Jesus, to challenge you, mm-hmm. do you not think he... he his goal-scoring record isn't brilliant for Arsenal. That's, yeah. that's something that people will criticise. But do you not mm-hmm. think that he is fantastic, close control, linking up play, playing back to goal? And I, I, is Cody Gakpo not another similar profile? Not Maybe not similar profile of player, but you know, Anthony Martial can play up front, can play left. Marcus Rashford can play up front, can play left. Garnacho yeah. wants to play on the left. Elango wants to play on the left. Jaden Sanchez's position is on the left. Where does Gakpo fit with all of those options? I think when you, again, it's about the mix, isn't it? So look at Arsenal, yeah? And Arsenal's a really, really good example. You know, you've got Martinelli on the left, Saka on the right, Gabriel Jesus through the middle. Those three up top are completely fluid. They all do a little bit of everything. And it's not, you have the role to come short and you have to do this or you have to, you're the wide player, so please keep the whip. They don't do that. They're top of the league because they can do a little bit of everything. And I think that's what Eric Ten Hag wants this team to do. So let's look at it in real terms. Marcus Rashford can play through the middle, can be a nine, sorry that he can score goals at a World Cup. But yeah, he plays left or he plays right, doesn't he? Jaden Sancho falling away a little bit. So you kind of want numbers there on the left. Whether he's going to play left, is he going to play at all? Garnacho, we know what Garnacho does. We know what Anthony does. Martial can play through the middle. He is your number nine, but he can also play on the left. So there's, there's none of this. You have a centre forward. The only player who did that at Manchester United in any time recently is Cristiano. And it showed that when you had that centre forward who could do the box stuff, you weren't very good. And that's the problem. So I think when you look at Gabriel Jesus there, the reason why Arsenal top of the league, it's obviously not because he's number nine scoring goals. He doesn't score goals, does he? What he does is he, he goes and overloads on the right or the left or comes short. And it's not about back to goal, like classical, what I would call Mark Hughes, back to goal, you know, into the the centre-back, laying the ball off. I don't think Jesus does that at all. I think Jesus wanders and helps. Oh, he does. He does. He does do that. He can, but he's he's not, like, he's not six foot three strong. He's very strong. He's a strong lad. (laughs) He gave United a very difficult time at Old Trafford playing that way. He did and we beat them. So like, this is about winning, Scott. This is about what can you do to put plays in that make you win? It's not just about stylism. It's not about that that thing. So Gabriel Jesus, yeah, I think he's had a great season. Yet people have criticised him for not scoring enough goals. doesn't matter. 
It's about what your collective does. So I look at Gakpo. I don't need a centre forward to play with his back to goal. He will go to the left and overload there, either with a Rashford and a Luke Shaw, and they will play that side and they'll beat teams in the half space. That's what football does now. And he'll come in inside and he'll score goals. So that's the way I look at it, is I have more faith in that than saying you absolutely need an out-and-out number nine. Look at Erling Haaland. He doesn't touch the ball at Man City. He sometimes touches the ball 12 times in a game and scores two goals. And he doesn't come short for the ball. He doesn't. He comes short, but doesn't always get it. Do you know what I mean? So he's all about putting the ball in the back of the net. I think Gakpo is a kind of player that you can develop from that left-hand side because if you're playing a 4-1-5, it's got to be fluid. It can't be about having a centre-forward who scores all your goals. The days of Ruud van Nistelrooy have gone. You don't need a centre-forward that can get you 30 goals. What you I'd rather have is have five players that get you 12 goals each or 15 goals and you move forward like that. And a lot of this depends now, Scott, on Anthony Martial. So Anthony Martial, he was really good in the in the Cadiz game. I really liked how he was coming out and overloading one side and the other and coming short. If you've got him, he can be your number nine to do more traditional things. It doesn't mean that you've got to, your next signing has to be an out-and-out striker. You're, do you not have concerns about Martial's fitness record, though? And if he does to, he does end up getting injured, let's say he, he comes back to fitness, plays three games and then gets injured for another three months and United don't have... And they end up playing Marcus Rashford through the middle again and he gets criticised for the limitations that he has playing through the middle. He scored most of his goals playing from... or drifting wide. I, yeah. I would rather Is that have, not a weakness? It's a weakness, but it's also a wait and see. Like... If we're sat here saying in a year's time, oh, do you know what? Anthony Marshall came back. He's not been injured for a year. Isn't that good? That is a possibility. That could happen. You know, we're predicting stuff that isn't there at the moment. It's kind of, this is the issue. And you can't cover everything, Scott, because of a potential injury. You've got to kind of look at your, your wider scope of it. This is the way I look at it. And I think that kind of modern forwards are the guys that operate in the half space. That is their role. The best forwards in the world go to that side and work left and right, work the channel and link up play that way. They don't necessarily have to come short all the time, but they're the ones who play that one-two pass. And this is why I think someone like Rashford could play as your number nine. Like he has limitations, but the boy is scoring goals again. So I think that if he's, if he's confident, I wouldn't have a problem at all with those two for the rest of the season being your number nine. And then you can go to the end of the season and say, right, hang on. Now we've got this. You know, we've got this forward line. What do we do with it? How do we evolve it? Do we now definitely need a number nine or a traditional number nine? I do not see it in the modern game, Scott. I do not see any of the top teams leaning that way. I look at Man City. They got Haaland, but they were pushed for that. Like, they got Haaland because he's the really best at what he does. They didn't really care about that. They wanted to play with forwards that are fluid, and they still do that. Liverpool went and got Darwin Nunes, who's not really a number nine, is he? He's not. He plays off the left. Oh, That's he what is. He does. Oh, he can do it. But he's when he started for Liverpool, he's come off the left. He's come off the left watching those games. He's been left, Salah right. And you've seen a lot of the time that Jota's gone through the middle. So this is the balance of it. It's having players that can kind of switch it out. I think that's where Man United are going to go, whether we like it or not, or think that it should be one way or the other. I think this manager wants fluidity in his attack. Anthony was a really good example of that. Someone who could play really wide, but can run at players, dribble at players. And also it's about that press, isn't it? Gakpo, I think, can be part of that press and help you with a with your kind of counter pressing and counter attacking because he's got pace 
And he's lethal. Like, if you watched him in and around the box, he's as lethal as any striker that I've seen this season. That's why his numbers are so good. Talk about his numbers. 14 games in the Eredivisie, 9 goals, 12 assists, all with the position listed as left wing for PSV for this season. Yeah. And do United need to spend 50 million on another left winger is my question. I, do, I, I don't care what that number says about him playing off the left wing. I've watched him enough times for PSV this year. He's not a left winger. He does not start like Anthony starts on the right wing. He does not start on the left wing. He does not do that. He comes inside. He plays that way. So this year we've seen him at PSV in his best games for them play as a number 10. That's where he's played when he scored lots of goals. So he's been the guy as he said, likes to play with his, his uh, face in the goal, doesn't he? So he likes to pick the ball up five, 10 yards outside the box, play one, two, pick it up again and finish. And that's what I like about him is that he's lethal in that, in that movement. And that kind of makes you think a bit of maybe Rashford and maybe Martial, and you could say that's similar, but it's about scoring goals and winning games. That's all it's about. It's not about style. It's about how do you fit what the manager wants to do? I think that's what the manager wants, Scott. I think the manager wants a player who's going to exploit fullbacks and, and that channel on the inside and not be, we don't see overlapping players anymore, do we? We see like fullbacks do it, but you're not going to say to Gakpo, yeah, overlap the right back, mate, in the Premier League. No, we're saying come inside like a striker or a number 10, get the ball, face the goal. And if you face the goal, we can, we can counter press successfully. We can score more goals. We can win more games. This is about creating a winning team, Scott. It's not about having maybe that icon player at the top end of the pitch. I think Gakpo can score you a lot of goals from the left. And it might mean that Jaden Sancho has to fight for his place, Scott. Like, this is the way it is. You know, you fight for your place. If you don't fit it, in a year's time, we might be saying goodbye, Jaden Sancho, because Gakpo has got that left-handed side now down. And that's just the way it goes. I'm not too worried about it. I think the price, though, is going to be the issue now because I think this is what Man United will be trying to negotiate in the next week or two. Let us know your thoughts on uh, Cody Gakpo. Obviously, has a great goal-scoring record this season. Has doing well at the World Cup as well. We'll see if he can put Argentina to the sword in their World Cup quarterfinal. No doubt his price will go up by another 5 to 10 million if he does manage to do that. We'll see what United end up doing because uh, they do need to plug the Ronaldo hole that has been left. But let's know, is he the right option, in your opinion, for the money that he's been put up for? There are other potential alternatives. Perhaps do they try and tie themselves over and wait till the summer for a Victor Osserman or something like that? Let us know what you think. And that's the problem you see. Like, do you do you look at this season and go, we've got an opportunity now because <laughs> Liverpool are not so good and you're looking at the teams around that top six and they're all very shaky. Are Arsenal now going to fall off because Jesus is he out for three months? Yeah, three months. And he's been, so he's out for three months. So are you in that position now where you can exploit it by bringing in another player? Or do you do what you just said there? Do you wait to the summer? And also, we've got this kind of sale happening at Man United, haven't we? You know, are you going to wait there now until you get some super rich owner who's going to come in and buy another top forward for £100 million at the top end of the pitch? Someone said to me the other day that they believe Victor Osman is going to become the best striker in the world ahead of Haaland. And there is this there is this feeling of that now because Haaland, I wouldn't call him a one-trick pony. I think he is amazing. I think he scores goals and he's going to help City win that that fable Champions League. I really do believe that. But I think if you're going to look at the next best thing, I think someone like Osserman is someone who could play in that fluid five at the top end for Man United if you're doing that. And also still be a striker. 
and also still be a number nine and then maybe come short and play with his back to go every now and then. But I think it's more about having the collective, right? And I think they're hot on Gakpo, like they were hot on before him, before the World Cup. United have inquired, the manager wants him, he's Dutch. It all kind of adds up. And I think the other side of this is that Gakpo wants this challenge. I think like Anthony, it reminds me of the Anthony deal when we were talking about will it happen or will it not happen? I think this is about Man United putting up the money. They put the money up, deal gets done. Done very quickly, very smoothly over January and Cody Gakpo will be a Manchester United player. I hope I didn't come... Well, I was for for clarity, I did come across there as negative on, on this signing, <laughs> but that's for the purposes of the podcast. I'm just uh, playing devil's advocate, asking the right questions or trying to anyway. Uh, Eric Ten Hag, if there's anything that he has done so far, is... He's been justified in the signings that he's made. The signings that he has made have been have added to the team. You know, you can see his personality through those players. You can see exactly what he wants out of those players, and they fit in pretty much straight away as well. Yeah, but, and, it's, and you know what, Scott? Your question is completely valid because, again, if you look at all the signings at Man United under Eric Ten Hag, people were saying, well, this lad Martinez, you know, He's not going to be a centre-back at Man United. That's not what he, he's not. He's too small, isn't he? And he, he's going to get killed in the Premier League. He, he'll play a defensive midfield role. Yeah, he's a centre-back. That's what he is. You know, now we're looking at kind of how it's evolving. Look at Ericsson. Oh, he was going to be a number 10. No, he's kind of a number six. You know, he's playing that role more. Oh, look at Casemiro. Casemiro's kind of doing a little bit of everything, isn't he? Showing that he can kind of pass the ball, score goals, can help the team. So I think that's where Gakpo will fit in. I think he will be... A, a kind of jack of all trades, not particularly a specialist, but he will make you more lethal in that final third. And I think that players running off him and him running off players, I'm quite excited to see that. I think he fits the DNA of this team. Um, and if other players can't rise to that, and I'm looking at you, Jaden, you know, if you can't do it for whatever reason, then you will be eventually moved on. You've got to rise to the challenge because there's other players like Garnacho who are proving that they could be starters as well, even at such a young age. Just talked about two young boys today, didn't we, in in, uh, in Manu and uh, Iqbal. I, I think that he's got options there at Ten Hag, but I think he'll also add these these kind of next-generation players. I think Gakpo is one of those players who would love the stage at Man United, very similar to Anthony. Yeah, if the Netherlands go out of the World Cup, then maybe things will ramp up a little bit on United's pursuit of him. To be honest, I think United seem to be in pole position to sign him. I don't want to speculate too much there, but that does seem to be the indication. There aren't too many other clubs of United's profile who are openly uh, trying to go for the player. Leeds and Southampton tried him in the summer and were essentially rejected. And obviously his stock has risen a lot since then. So United in a good position. It's all about the money and how much they put up, how much they want to put up. But United have decisions to make in a number of positions across the next few months. Uh, and yeah, Rob, we'll wrap up there. Any final thoughts? Because, uh, you know, this could this one could actually escalate a little bit, even before we talk a little bit more. Because uh, if the Netherlands go out of the cup, United could make their move. Yeah, and I and I think the other side of this is, is about PSV Eindhoven, about kind of their intentions, because they've actually done quite well that when the United deal fell through in the summer, not to force Gakpo out the club. They could have forced him out, got a decent fee for him, 25, 30 million, which would have been a good you know valuation for him at that point. They're now going to probably get double that. 
and they are happy. So I think that that's why the deal will happen smoothly is because they've sat on their hands and gone, can we get more for this player? Can we get that magical 50 million or above? Yes, you can. In the same way that Ajax did that with Anthony, they didn't let him go, did they? What was the price for Anthony when we first talked about him, Scott? 40 million? Was that 45 million? Something like that? It was suggested at him? one point that they were, they would sign him for 40 million. I believe I said at the, the point on this podcast that that was absolutely never going to happen. But. Absolutely. And and the Dutch journalists that we were speaking to at that time, and I was talking to around there, around Ajax, were going, hmm, you know, 50 million might do it here because, you, you know, they're not short. But anyway, Ajax went, no, 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 no. We're going to sit on our hands and wait and you're going to play for us. And that's how it's going to work out. And what happened in the end, the player spat his dummy out, said, I want to leave. Eric Ten Hard made it happen. What did United play in the end? 80 odd million, 75, something like that. So this is all a bit of a haggling game here. But I think PSV, if they get the money they want, this is where the deal will escalate pretty quickly. And as you said, when, when teams are out of the World Cup, we do seem to see that the you know, agents are doing the work behind the scenes now. They're not waiting, but they have to wait to be able to have players go and do medicals and present themselves and all of that stuff. So I think now with the January transfer window, just like, you know, weeks away ahead of us here, we're going to start hearing about these deals quite imminently, probably before the World Cup finals even happened. Final one. Who do you think is going to win the World Cup? Said it all along. I'm going to stick with it. Argentina all the way. I said it early in uh, weeks and weeks and months ago. Uh, I got France right last time with 2018 and I stuck with them from early on. And I think we just look at Argentina. There just seems to be a little bit of a script there. Now, I know Portugal is still in the competition. So Ronaldo might be the guy holding that World Cup up at the end of it. He might not play beyond the bench, but he'll be captain, won't he? So it's his team. Uh, but I just... I get a feeling about Messi and Argentina, even though they're not that good. Like when you watch, so them, do I. Uh, yeah, they're not. They're not actually classically the best Argentina team I've ever seen, but they've got grafting and workers, and they know what they are, and they don't. They're not spectacular, but they've got numbers in the right places. And Messi, like I, I, I think Messi is way above Ronaldo in terms of his own personal performances, just in general, but. You know, I don't understand still like why how Otamendi starts games ahead of Martinez when we watch Martinez every week and think he's one of the best centre backs in the world. <laughs> that manager obviously doesn't agree with you and me or most Man United fans, but I think they've got enough Argentina to keep going. Let's see what happens. I think the final, you know, the the, the quarterfinals from this part on the last eight. Once you get over that hump in the final four, it really is anyone's tournament because this has been the competition where there's been tons of shocks. I'm sticking with Argentina. They're the team I'm going to go for. But I think the winner of England, France, also has a very, very good chance of getting to a final. Yes, indeed. Uh, I think there's five teams that can win it. I picked Brazil pre-tournament, but you just look at Argentina as they they're not they're not actually very good, like you say there, Rob. But yeah, every round that they go through, I just feel like the, the energy and the confidence they'll take from that, it just plays into the the narrative. It seems like it's written, doesn't it? A little but bit. But just just the, just touching the, on the Brazil thing as well. Brazil again, a little bit like Argentina. Yeah. And and I think actually Brazil probably got a little bit more quality. Like we thought Gabriel Jesus would be a central piece. Now he's injured. He can't do anything about that. But here you have this team of Brazil going to win a World Cup with Rafinha in your team and Richarlison. Now, again, if someone said that a year ago, a guy from Leeds and, you know, Everton's kind of makeshift forward mm -hmm. and they're going to be re leading their countries towards a World Cup final. 
I think we'd have all gone again. What? How? But of course, they're not at those clubs anymore. So they're a little bit more fashionable. But overall, you look at uh, Brazil and they're again a bit like Argentina, not perfect in every position. They've got Fred in their team. Yeah. But then you look at Casemiro and Casemiro just looks like the best central midfielder in the tournament, doesn't he? Yeah. Just does everything. And I keep watching him and going, I'm so glad you play for us now. I gave you I gave you a bit of stick earlier on when you weren't running around and not cutting it for United. Very, very happy that he's our player. And I do hope that he comes back fit, whether he wins the World Cup or not. Yep, that'll do for us today. Enjoy the World Cup quarterfinals. We'll see you just before the World Cup semifinals. We'll see how many Man United players are still in the tournament by then. We'll see if uh, Cody Hakpo can eliminate Messi's Argentina uh, from the World Cup and become a £200 million player by the time United try and sign him. <laughs> uh, but yes, you can subscribe wherever you get your pods uh, on Apple, Google, Spotify and the likes and watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays on YouTube as well. So like the, like the video today and every video we've done before, comment, subscribe, join the community with us as well and leave a comment. I just said that actually. Uh, but yes, you can also follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders at underscore Rob underscore B and at promise and MU for the show. Get in touch with us there as well. Uh, a lot of you do that. Uh, very much appreciated. Uh, we do read them. We do see them. And it's, uh, it's very nice to know that you enjoy. Uh, so keep telling us if you do like what we're, what we're talking about. If you want us to talk about anything in particular as well, let us know. Uh, as I, as I mentioned there, you can get us on Twitter and follow us there and comment and let us know what you want us to talk about. So uh, we'll consider that moving forward in the episodes. But Rob, thanks again. Uh, I'll see you next week after the football, after Man United have played another friendly. Hopefully they don't lose 4-2 this time, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, but yes, uh, Rob, I'll see you soon. And listener, thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.